morning. You guys are getting so good at just like the perfect silence at the right time. I don't know if it's you guys are getting tired of mingling with each other or, um, or you just have the timing down. I'm sorry, I'm not looking at my phone to check like my fantasy lineup or anything. Uh, I've got an announcement that I'm supposed to give and I only remember it because it's on my phone. Awana store is coming up soon. If anyone would like to help financially with toys for that, please just add that donation to the offering this morning. And I would guess you would put in the memo line, Awana store. Don't write it on your dollar bills. Uh, we're gonna have two offerings this morning. One is the regular offering and the other is the building fund. And again, thank you so much for being here. Let's, let's praise our savior now as we uh, sing a couple more songs before Kyle comes up and speaks this morning. God, we, uh, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. Uh, God, we, we ask, uh, God, just that your, your spirit uh, would lead and guide us. God, may we respond in a way that our, our praise uh, would ever be on our lips. Uh, God, help us leave here this morning uh, with a renewed passion and vision for your kingdom and your work. Uh, pray that you would speak this morning and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, and if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are ending our series uh, in the book of 1 Peter today, and then uh, beginning a new series, very Christmas-related next week. So 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm just going to read verses 5 through 11 as you turn there. It says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Uh, within this passage, I think you can see several different themes, although I think overall we've got one, and one we're going to look at this morning, and that's back to verse 8 where it says, be, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I think as we look at that theme this morning, I think a great picture of at least how the world looks at the devil or how many different kind of two sides perceive what he looks like is, is, is really found in there's a, a lizard in the southwest called the Texas horned frog. Uh, and the Texas horned frog, and here, here's a, maybe, got a picture of it. All right, yeah, there it is. 
the Texas horned frog. And so here's a picture of the Texas horned frog. Kind of looks like a frog, although it's a lizard. And what the Texas horned frog does is if you would step and, and kind of move towards the Texas horned frog, what he's going to do is he's going to puff up and all his spikes are going to get large. And looking at him, he becomes this little ferocious little thing as you would look at him. And he's doing this really to scare off his predators. But here he is, he looks strong and ferocious. Yet at the same time, if you would con- continue to walk towards him, instead of becoming ferocious, he would just lay down and play dead. And so I, I think this is a great picture as we look at both sides of, of kind of the, the world's perspective and their view of who the devil is. See, some people look at him and they see this strong and ferocious and they kind of have an inflated view of his power, although it is large. They look at him, they're scared, whatever. And then the other side is there's many people, in their mind, he's not even alive. And so this picture of him is, uh, he has no impact, he, he has no power. And so these are kind of the two sides we look at. And so what we want to notice from this, this portion of scripture here in First Peter chapter 5 is there is, in fact, a devil. There is, in fact, an enemy Satan himself. And so as we look at this passage, the first thing we want to see is exactly that. I I think uh, C.S. Lewis says it best. If you look at the opening of the screw tape uh, letters in in his book, it's it's one of the opening things uh, he, he says. He says here, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race fall about the devils. One is disbelief in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both heirs and hail a materialistic and magician with the same delight. It's that horned frog, right? On one side, you you have what's kind of referred to as superstition, that, that the devil's in everything. Everything is the devil's fault. Yet, on the other side... He doesn't even exist. You know, it's a fairy tale. There's, there's no truth to it. And so we see both sides. And both sides are of error. If you, if you look at the first one, kind of this unhealthy fear that behind everything, the devil's doing it. Right? It's the devil's fault. The devil made me do it. You, you'll, you'll see this uh, um, just in the world's standpoint that, that they, they don't have this, this uh, belief that the devil's even existing. You'll see it even uh, some, some within Christian realms. You, you, you may hear people talking about, oh, you know what, we, we need to pray, we need to bind Satan. Well, well, here's the truth, is that nowhere in Scripture do you see it. In fact, Satan himself is referred to as the prince, the power of the prince of the air. That this is his domain, that this is his world, and he is going to exist, and he's going to continue what he's been doing. In fact, we see that Satan himself won't be bound until you go to the book of Revelation in the millennial reign of Christ. That's when we see it, and it's not by humans, it's by an angel. So, so to have this, this, this wrong view on the other side, it's important that we understand we have a healthy view. At the same time, you see a world that does not believe in the devil. I think one of, one of my, my favorite clips is from uh, a movie here, and I'm just going to go ahead and show it to you. Here's a clip. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled 
was convincing the world he didn't exist. The greatest trick the world, the devil ever pulled, was convincing the world he didn't exist. This is the other side of it, that they believe, right? Their picture of the devil is this little, you know, red creature with, with these horns and, and a pointy tail and a pitchfork, right? And it's this, this idea of a fairy tale and, uh, you know, he, he doesn't really exist. He isn't really around. Well, here's the problem. For us as uh, believers in Jesus, for us who, who have put our hope and our trust in Christ and we look at the words of Jesus, we can't just take the words we like of Jesus and not others. If you look, Jesus talks about the devil. Jesus talks about Satan. Peter, right here, Paul, both discuss him. Jesus, more than either of them, discusses the enemy, discusses the power that he has in this world. And so we need to understand that there is a devil, and he is at work in our world. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think it's important for us to understand there is always a demonological dimension to our problems in this world. Right? We, I, you don't have to look far to see the issues going on, do you? Uh, daily. At least weekly, we see events like what happened in Paris. We see events that happened in California. Even, even looking at, in the Des Moines area, I think I read the other day there's been eight or nine uh, homicides this year. And I think probably at least half of them, maybe in the last month. But we don't have to look far to see the evil in this world. We understand it exists. And, and here's the truth is that no, no matter what kind of laws or who we elect, evil's still going to exist, Right? Now, it doesn't mean we don't play a part in government, we don't get involved, but understand this, that he, the devil, is the ruler. He is the prince, the power prince of the air. He's going to influence and have impact in this world in an evil way. It's the reality we face. So, yeah, we want to pray. We want to continue to, to, to be involved in all of those things, but understand there is always a demological dimension to our problems. So if we want to impact this world, man, we got to bathe it in prayer. We, we, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit if we're going to make a difference, a, a true difference in the world in which we live. So my encouragement, my challenge to you is, one, the first thing we need to understand from our, our, this passage here in 1 Peter is that there is a devil. He is real. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world. The Bible talks about the devil as a supernatural, personal force of tremendous evil power. Read through the Bible. We see it. Supernatural, tremendous power of evil in this world. Look at some of the pictures uh, that we see of the devil. We see right here in 1 Peter 5 that he's a roaring lion. In Revelation, it talks about him being a great red dragon. 2 Corinthians 4, he's the god of this world. John 8, he's a murderer. Ephesians 2, prince of the power of the air. And then in 2 Corinthians 11, snake, he's called a strong man. 
these images of the devil are strong and ferocious, aren't they? Something to be feared. You think back to that horned frog who puffs himself up and the horn's going. That, that's the image we see of who our enemy, the devil, is. He's ferocious. He's strong. And we need to understand, we need to have a healthy view of who he is, but understand his power is real. He has an influence in this world. Now, the question then becomes, and what I think we see here in 1 Peter chapter 5, it's important to note that, yes, he exists and he has influence, but the question for us then is what kind of influence does he have on our life? How is the devil, how is Satan, our enemy, at work in our life? And I think that as you read through this, 1 Peter chapter 5, that we see that the devil works through our heart's sin. Okay, now, how do we get that from this passage? What are we talking about? I think if you read this, let me read a couple of these verses for you again. It says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then verse 8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. So what is Peter talking about? Is Peter, in these three sentences, is he having three different thoughts? He's saying, okay, God opposes the proud, right? Gives grace to the humble. Okay, also, humble yourselves there before God. Cast all your anxiety on him. Is that a second thought? And then, hey, the devil's real. Resist him. Is Peter giving us three different thoughts? Three random sentences just kind of thrown together. No, no. Peter has one thought for us in here. He's telling us, you know what, that pride, we got to get rid of that pride. Humble yourselves before the Lord. The second thing he's telling us, cast your all your anxiety on him. The third thing he says is resist the devil. He's prowling around. He's like a lying lion ready to pounce. Well, what is the point that Peter's trying to get at? The point is this, that, that Peter is making is the same thing that Paul makes. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is talking and he's telling Timothy, Hey, Timothy, if we have a new believer in Jesus, a new convert to the faith, don't put him into leadership. As a new, because why? Well, he might get prideful, puffed up, and then he's going to give the devil a foothold. So the words to Paul, or the words Paul to Timothy, he's telling him, hey, don't put him in, I don't want to see pride because that pride's going to get in the way, and the devil then is going to have a foothold. Same thing if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we see it. In Ephesians chapter 4, he tells him, in verse 26, uh, chapter 4, he says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. What is he telling him? Well, I think the point that Peter is trying to make here is Peter wants him to understand and what Peter's telling us and what Paul is saying as well is that as we begin to allow sin into our life, it begins to give a foothold to our enemy, the devil. And this is so key for us. Now, I want to spend some time here in Ephesians chapter 4 as we look at it. I think Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3 would do much the same thing. In Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians 3, we see this idea that, that before we knew Jesus, 
before we put our faith and our hope and our trust in him, before our lives were changed because of the gospel of grace, before these things happened, there was a way in which we lived our life, right? There are things that we did before we knew Jesus. And now that I have a relationship with Jesus, now that my life has been changed, I live differently, or at least I should. And as you read through Ephesians chapter 4, let me read some of these verses starting in verse 20. It says, You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self so he says the same thing here in ephesians chapter 4 he says in colossians chapter 3 that there is a way in which we used to live before we knew jesus before our lives were changed that old self that old man and now because i know jesus because i have a relationship with him because now the holy spirit is active in my life there should be a way in which i live my life now and I, I have uh, talked about this with the high school group before and uh, back in the day, and I, I gave this illustration at camp. But it's kind of the picture of I, I've got a 20-month-old daughter uh, who's sitting right back there. Well, at 20 months, they, they still kind of fill their pants, right? All right, that kind of thing happens. I, can I say that? I, I'm trying to use my words carefully here. Okay, so, they, so what happens is they, they, they fill their pants, and what happens is it's dirty, right? It's ugly. It's an ugly picture. And occasionally I'll change a diaper, try to avoid it as much as I can. So I'll take the diaper off, and then what do I do? I clean her up, I get those wipes out, clean the whole thing up. But what do I do at that point? Do I stick the old diaper right back on? No, hopefully not. Right? I get the new diaper out, and I put a new diaper on. And I think... As gross as it is, this is really a picture of how oftentimes we live our lives. That Jesus has come in, we've been redeemed, we've been changed, we are a new creation, right? We come to Jesus, man, Jesus, I screwed up, you know, I'm dealing with anger in my life, whatever it might be. I ask for forgiveness and what do I do? I just go on and I put the old self right back on. Dirty, ugly, whatever else. So many times, this is how we live our lives. We've been changed, we've been redeemed, but we go back and we put on the old man, the old self, the old way of life. Here's the truth. If we know Jesus, we've been changed, we've been redeemed, we are a new creation, yet still, there is an action that needs to take place. If you look at Paul's words and you look at Peter's words here in 1 Peter chapter 5, there is still something that needs to take place in our life. That yes, we've been changed, yes, we've been redeemed, but here we need to clothe ourselves. We need to, as he says in Colossians chapter 3, put on the new self. This is something daily that needs to take place. I, I heard a story as reading or I was listening to a book in my car uh, last week and in it he was telling a story. It was talking about the mindset. And so in this story, a man would come home every day from work. You know, he worked long hours. He would come home. He'd pull up in his truck. He would get out. And as he was going into his house, he would come into there at a large tree in the front yard. And he would take off a coat and hang it on the branches and then walk into the house. Well, the thing was, it was 
not a real coat. He was just acting like he was taking off his coat and hanging it on the tree. And so his neighbors noticed this, and they asked him the question, you know, I'm trying to figure out why every day you act like you're taking a coat off and you're hanging it on the tree. And what he said to him, he says, well, what I want to do is when I get home is I don't want to take the troubles of my day and I don't want to take the worries of work into my house and into my family with me. So he says, mentally, what I've got to do to prepare my mind is I need to take that off, remind myself that now I'm going in, here's how I'm going to act with my family, I'm going to leave the troubles and the worries of the day behind. And I love that picture, I love that illustration. And for us, as followers of Jesus, there is an action that needs to take place, and it's more than simply taking this, but what a reminder that I, I need to clothe myself. As we look in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, it's talking about being imitators of God and what it looks like and the type of life we're supposed to live. In Ephesians, the second half of, of Colossians chapter 3, it tells us the type of life we should live, what an imitator of God, what someone who is a new creation in Jesus looks like. This is a daily thing that needs to take place. That as I wake up in the morning, this is how I'm going to choose to live my life. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance and leading in my life so I could live this type of life. An imitator of God. A new man. A new creation. That's how I want to live my life. And, and it's not something that comes natural. You know, most of us don't wake up in the morning, I'm going to be an imitator of God, I'm out the door, let's do this thing. Heck, I was driving this morning, and I was driving through the Starbucks line, and some guy cuts me off, right? And I'm turning right. He's coming straight. Who's got the right-of-way? Or he's coming left. I got the right-of-way. All right. If you don't know that, you're not a good driver. So if I turn, I'm getting ready to, to turn right in here, and he just zooms in. He cuts me off. My reaction? All right. He's going to cost me a whole minute and a half here of getting my coffee. But he cut me off. You can't do that. And so I'm all worked up, I'm angry, you know, and it was a great reminder to me, put, put off the old self, put on the new self, that because I've been redeemed, because I've been changed, I should live my life differently. I need to clothe myself with humility. I don't want to let the sun go down on my anger. I want to live a different type of life, a Christ-centered life, be imitators of God. And I will tell you, he felt bad, he bought me, he paid for my drink, so... You know, it all worked out. But we want to be imitators of God. Now, here, here's, here's my point in all this. If you look at 1 Peter 5, if you look here in Ephesians chapter 4, if you look in 1 Timothy 3, and you see Paul talking and Peter talking, what they're saying is when we begin to live like that old man, that old self, guess what happens? Let me read it again, Ephesians chapter 4. In your anger... Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while, you're still, while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. If you want to know when the devil can begin to work in your life, when Satan begins to work in your life, it's when we give him that foothold. It's when that anger, that old self comes about. That's when we begin to give him that foothold. And so what Peter is telling us in 1 Peter chapter 5 is, and what, what Paul's telling us here in Ephesians chapter 4, is, clothe yourself with a new man. Put on the new man so we can not give the devil a foothold. 
I, I, I just looking at what foothold was and, and just kind of reading about it and kind of defining it, I think that, that military is a great example of it. Here, here it was defined in the dictionary. It's a position usable as a base for further advance. A position usable as a base for further advance. Right? This, this is what happens. As we begin to live in the old self, in the old way, we begin to give him a foothold for further advance. We, we want to live in the spirit. We want to live in the new man. We want to clothe ourselves and be imitators of God. So we don't give him that foothold for further advance. I think it is an incredible picture. Uh, a quote I read, this is uh, from the book, The Christian in Complete Armor. It's a book written by William Gurnall. And here's what it says. It says, if men hear a noise at night, they cry, the devil, the devil, and they run for their lives. But they carry the devil around in their very hearts all day. For if you have a proud spirit, or if you have resentment, or if you have anxiety, you are under his power. He is setting you in a precarious place. My friends, why don't you run from your pride, crying, the devil, the devil? Why don't you run from your resentments and your grudges, yelling, the devil, the devil? We do not want to allow a foothold for him in our lives. We need, in, in our own lives, I, I, to me, I, I'm a very... If I don't have a, a, a regime, a regime a kind of a, a daily routine, I can get myself in trouble. Because isn't it easy that, I, I think it was talking to Norb one time, and we were talking about just making a reading plan, daily discipline, taking 30 days to really develop a habit. And it is so easy to get out of those habits. Uh, in, in my position selling real estate, one of the things I've done is I hired a real estate coach, someone who coached me, continued to train me and challenged me and held me for accountability. Well, one of the things we've done in that, he said, all right, Kyle, first thing you've got to do is personal. Forget about work a second. Look at your personal life. So now he's making me get up at six o'clock in the morning and exercise. I don't know why I signed up for this, but do all these things. So I've now set up my daily schedule and I'm weekend to it. So you don't give me too much credit here. But exercise, and here's, here's what he says. We've got to exercise for 30 minutes, we've got to meditate for 30 minutes, and we've got to educate for 30 minutes. And so your daily routine is starting exactly like that. And so he says, here's what we're going to do. You're going to write me a $500 check, all right? And if you don't do this for the next two weeks, I'm mailing it. You tell me where is the worst place that $500 could go. And I said, well, probably University of Iowa Athletic Department. Okay, so right... <laughs> You're going to write that check out, and if you don't do this the next two weeks, I'm going to mail that $500 check out. All right? I'm a week into it, and I guarantee that two weeks is going to happen. That check is not going out. But what he wants to do is he wants to develop routine, right? I think that is so important in our lives as we talk about putting on the new self. For me, to wake up at, at 6 o'clock is a stretch. I, I, you know, I breakfast with Jake this week, and Jake gets up at like 4.30, you know, I, I, I don't know how people can function like that, but, but to have that type of routine in your life is so important. And this is what, you know, my coaches tell me, forget about the work stuff, the personal stuff. And for us on a spiritual level, to clothe ourselves 
It's not just rolling out of bed, going throughout my day, and then I'm, I'm done with the day. But there has to be some sort of, you know, I need to bathe myself in prayer. I, the Holy Spirit has to be at work in my life. I need to be spending time in the Word of God. Because if I'm not doing these things, guess what begins to creep into my life? That old man, that old self. And I begin to give the enemy a foothold in my life. So we want to set up these things. I think accountability is huge. You know, that I've got friends, people who are going to push me to spend time in the Word. People who are going to push me in prayer. People who I can spend time and, and, and you know, confessing sin to. These type of things in my life, it is so important. So we don't begin to give the devil a foothold. If we uh, continue here in 1 Peter chapter 5, if we look at this and, and understand, we could go to Ephesians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 3, and we could talk about every sin that we could think. And we're not going to you know, dig up all the trash in your life here. But as you look at through those things, we can look what that old man looks like, the, the way in which we used to live, the things we used to do, and how easy it is for those things to creep back into our life. Right, putting that dirty diaper right back on. And we do it so often. Well, here in 1 Peter chapter 5, he addresses two things. So while these are not the only two things, not the only two sins that can creep into our life, they are the two that Peter deals with here in 1 Peter chapter 5. So the two things we want to look at are pride and anxiety. Let me read it again for you, the, uh, starting in verse 5, second half. It says, all of you... Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So the two things we see, pride and anxiety. Pride and anxiety. These are the two sins that, that Peter brings to life in 1 Peter chapter 5. Now again, plenty of other sins we could look at that give a, the devil a foothold. But here's the two that Peter brings out. So I'm going to look at anxiety first and I'm going to go back to pride. Uh, anxiety. Anxiety is, 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 you know, it's worry. Basically what we're doing, and, and I think if we would look at our lives as we begin to worry, as we begin to become anxious I think so many people are afraid of things and not afraid of him. When anxiety and worry creeps into our life, that's exactly what we're saying. That, yeah, I'm scared of these things, but I don't trust you. I think if we really fear him, God, there's really no need to fear anything else. This is what worry and anxiety is. It's taking our trust off of him and putting it on ourselves. It's selfish because we're putting a whole lot more trust and faith in our own opinions than in him. Uh, listen to what Romans 8.32 says. It says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not... Also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Let me read it again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If he has given us his son, 
the greatest gift that he could give. Now think Christmas is coming up, right? He's given us that great present, the greatest gift. Why would he not give us the wrapping and the bow and the tinsel and all those other things if he's given us the gift already? And, and for us for, to get anxious, to worry, is really saying, God, I, I don't trust you. God, I, you gave up your son. You have given me this great gift. I appreciate that, but I'm not going to trust you with anything else. And here's the reality. I, I preach to myself in this. Uh, you know, I, last time I spoke, I, I think I probably made the mistake of telling you that I was stepping down from my current job, and I appreciate all the, you know, texts and calls and emails, word that I was, didn't have a job. Uh, just changing my position, my path, just to sell real estate. But one of the things I did is I spent a lot of time just thinking about it and how much it consumed me. And I began to worry. What is next? What am I going to do next? Am I making the right decision? And if I'm truthful, I still, I'm struggling with it. Because here it is, and it consumes my day. And should it consume my day? Now what am I dwelling on? What am I thinking on? What is consuming me? It's that. It's those anxious thoughts. It's that worry. Oh, God, am I, am I making the right decision? Is this what you're supposed to do? You know, who cares? He is in control. And for me to be anxious and to worry is to say, God, I'm trusting myself here more than I'm trusting in you. The one who's given me the greatest gift. You're going to take care of the rest of the details. And so think about in our life, one of the things Peter has encouraged us to do is to be anxious no more. If, if, you, if you look at this, how, how, do we, how do we deal with that? I, I think the key is seen in, in two things. One, in humility. I think it's a continuation of the, the previous verse. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I think the first is just being humble, in humility, trusting God. And I think the second is that casting all anxiety on him. Again, it's that action. Remember we talked about clothing yourselves, those actions we need to take place. This is exactly what it is. Cast all your anxiety on him. Those worries, those thoughts, to me, there's an action point right here. That God, I am too much trusting in myself, too much trusting in my own opinions, too much putting myself ahead of you. I am being selfish. I need to give these to you. And I think the truth of this, of this passage here in 1 First Peter 5 is saying, give it to me, and I'll take it, and I'll deal with it. Isn't that awesome? That, that I don't have to worry. I don't have to be anxious. That he is willing to take that upon himself. He says, give it to me, and I'll deal with it. Anxiety, worry. The second one we see, which is really the first one in here, is this issue of pride. Let me read it again, starting the second half of verse 5. It says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you read throughout scripture, you're going to see very many di different definitions and perspectives of pride. And I love it because you can go through, through scripture and you can see those different perspectives. I think how pride is defined here, read it again, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Pride here is defined as a resistance to God's grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you have grace to the degree degree that you have dealt with the pride is the question. Pride in its nature, as we see in this passage, is anti-grace. So what do we mean? I think for us, think about grace, the gospel of grace. Here's where I want to take us and end us today because I think it brings us back to the cross and it brings us to communion. It brings us to the bread, bread, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed. When you think about this idea of grace, God's grace, here's the reality. And think about a prayer of confession as needing the grace of God. It says, Lord God, I confess my understanding of you is incomplete. My love, my emotional love for you is cold. My best deeds are tainted with selfishness. So no matter how hard I try, I'm not good enough. Let me read that again. This is the first place we need to be. Lord God, I confess my understanding of you is incomplete. My emotional love for you is cold, and my best deeds are tainted with selfishness, so no matter how hard I try, I'm not good enough. But here is the gospel of grace. But Jesus Christ died my death, the death I should have died, lived my life, the life I should have lived. Because I believe in him, God himself now welcomes me. Because I believe in him, all the value of Jesus' life And his death is now imputed on me. I I get it. It's for me now with that belief in Jesus. This is the gospel of grace. I'm undeserving, yet God has given me the greatest gift in his son Jesus. His life and his death, I get. That's grace. That's grace. And as you look at the world, pride it is basically saying, you know what, God, I, I can do it myself. And there, there's kind of two sides to it, two people. One who think, I don't need this, I don't need a part of it, I can do it myself. And then the other side who says, you know what, I, I'm not good enough, but there's nothing that could be done that is good enough for me. And that's pride. Both of them are prideful because they're saying it's about me. It's about me. We need to understand the gospel of grace. Pride in itself is anti-grace. So if we want to rid pride from our life, what's the answer? He says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. You've probably heard this before, but humility is not thinking more of yourself or less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. A truly humble person is so satisfied with your position in Christ that you think of nothing else. This is what consumes you. And when that is what consumes you, the gospel of grace, our position, our place in Christ, there's no longer a foothold to be had because our lives are not filled with anxiety. Our lives are not filled with pride. Our lives are not filled with the old self. They're filled with the gospel of grace. They're filled with the new man, the new self. If we don't want to give the enemy a foothold, this is the answer. This is it. To put on the new self, to clothe yourself in righteousness, to live the new man, to to humble yourself, to think about what he has done. 
the finished work of the cross, his body broken, his life that he gave up for me, and in the juice, his blood that was shed, a new covenant, a new life that I get because I have put my hope and my trust and my faith in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the new life that we have. God, as we, we think about this passage in 1 Peter, we think about Satan, and our enemy is, is very real. And God, the best way to combat our enemy is to not let him have a foothold. So God, help, help us to look at our own lives and God, ask ourselves the question, where are we giving them a foothold? What sin is creeping into my life where, where Satan is beginning to get that foothold? God, who, who are the people in my life that can help me keep accountable, accountable in this? Who can challenge me to be imitators of God? Who can challenge me daily to put on the new man, the new self? God, help us as part of our daily routine, our hourly routine, as part of every part of our life that we would dwell on the cross, the gospel of grace. God, if, if we think on the gospel of grace, if we think on the cross, if we think of your body that was broken and your blood that was shed, God, this is going to consume us. We won't let that anxiety and that pride creep into our life. So God, even as we are here this morning and we continue to worship you, God, we want to dwell on that. We want to think on that. We want to remember the gospel of grace in that your son Jesus, perfect man who knew no sin, lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. And God, his life and his death now imputed on me. I get it. And God, when you look at me, you see Jesus. What a thing. I'm not deserving of it. And that's, that's grace. That is grace. Teach us that grace. God, may your spirit continue to show us that grace that we would show that same grace to others. And God, this morning we want to we think about Jesus. We want to dwell on the cross. We want to remember the life that he lived, his body broken. We want to remember his death on the cross and his bloodshed. God, that that would consume our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. the imagery that, that both Peter and Paul give us. And, and Peter says, cast your anxiety, right? And he says, clothe yourselves. And Paul says, put on the new self. Those are great reminders to me. It's like that story of the man who walked into his house every day and he would you know, make the action like he was hanging his coat up to leave the cares behind. Uh, my, my brother taught me, he says, Kyle, you know what I'll have to do on a daily basis is I've got to do breathing exercises and I'll, I'll breathe in to remind me that I need the Holy Spirit working on my life. And I'll breathe out to remind me to get rid of my old self. Not, not just a simple exercise to remind me of the actions that need to take place in my life. If we, if we want to prevent from giving the devil a foothold in our life, these are things we need to do to clothe ourselves in humility, to cast all our anxiety, to put on the new self. So maybe challenged, encouraged as I read through it in my own life, to begin to 
clothe myself and cast my anxiety and put on the new self. As we leave here this morning, be reminded of this, this gospel of grace. Be reminded of Jesus, this lamb that was worthy and what he's done for us. What a gift that God has given us. What a gift. And if this is our reminder throughout the day, man, we won't worry about these other things in life if we focus on the great gift that God has given. Let, let me pray, and then we're going to sing one more song together. God, we thank you for Jesus. Worthy is the lamb that was slain for us, for me. What an incredible thing. You have given us this greatest gift. Why would you not take care of everything else? God, as, as we leave here this morning, remind us to clothe ourselves, cast our anxiety, put on the new self so we do not give the enemy a foothold. God, may your Holy Spirit be at work in our lives. We pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name.